Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is NWS 717 for release on Sunday, November 20th, 2022. On WaveScan today, the radio scene on the islands of Guadeloupe. WTWW goes off of shortwave. Well, not so well known is the fact that back in the early 1900s, France once held one of the world's largest empires. At its peak in 1929, France controlled almost 5 million square miles of territory. That is 8.7% of the Earth's total land area. A full 72 countries were part of France at one time or another. Here's Ray Robinson now with the radio scene on the islands of Guadeloupe. Thanks, Jeff. The first permanent French colony in the Caribbean was established at Saint-Pierre on the island of Martinique by the French trader and adventurer Pierre Berlin Desnambouc in the year 1635. Thus began what has since developed into what has become a four-century French saga of conquest, colonisation, commercialisation and modern local development in the islands of the Caribbean. All told, the French have established colonies on some 30 different islands in the Caribbean over the past 600 years, and the French language is still part of the culture of several of these islands to this day. The four main island countries in the Caribbean, which currently form the French Caribbean territories, are Guadeloupe, Martinique, Saint-Martin and Saint-Barthélemy, or Saint-Bart. The country of Haiti on the island of Hispaniola was formerly a prominent French territory, though they obtained their independence from the European mother country 200 years ago. In our programme today, we return to the radio scene on Guadeloupe, and in particular to the radio scene on the other nearby islands that form part of this French overseas département in the Caribbean. The two main islands of Guadeloupe, Grand Terre and Basse Terre, form the shape of a butterfly that's flying towards the northwest. The total land area is a little over 600 square miles and the total population is a little over a third of a million. In addition to the two main islands, there are three other islands near Guadeloupe that are populated and these are Marie-Galante, La Desirade and Les Saintes. Let's examine all three of these island clusters and we do so in the order of their geographic size and their population totals. The island known as Marie-Galante is circular in shape and because it's mainly flat, it's sometimes called Pancake Island. This island has a total area of 61 square miles with a population of some 10,000 people. Marie-Galante Island lies 15 miles southeast of Guadeloupe, just a short one-hour ferry ride away. It was named by the famous Iberian explorer Christopher Columbus in honour of his ship, the Marie Galanda, at the time of his second voyage to the Americas in 1493. The main town on Marie Galante is Grand Bourg, at the southwest tip of the island. In 1984, the government of Guadeloupe began the installation of a network of FM radio broadcasting stations to provide nationwide coverage. 
A dedicated unattended relay station on 89.1 MHz was installed at Hort du Monde de Pere on Marie Galante Island, and it took a continuous relay of RFO Guadeloupe programming from the main station at Pointe Pitre on the main island that could be described as the eastern wing of the butterfly. An additional FM relay station was installed in 2013, and that station carries a relay from RFI, Radio France International, in Paris. The two transmitters on 89.1 MHz and 91.7 MHz are rated at 1 kW each. Another inhabited island is La Desirade, 7 miles long and 1 mile wide, and it lies due east, 5 miles distant from Guadeloupe. Christopher Columbus landed on that island during the same 1493 voyage, and it was named Desirade because the sailors were so glad to see land again. The island has a population of around 1,500 people, and the main town is Beausejour. Nearby is a large wind farm for the generation of electricity. With the potential threat of hurricanes, a design feature on those tall windmills is that the arms can be folded for safety. Because of its relatively close proximity, radio coverage for this island comes direct from the two main islands. And then six miles south of Desirade are the twin islands of Petite Terre and Terre de Hort, which are separated by a lagoon 200 yards across. There had been a population of up to 50 people on these two islands, known collectively as Les Sand, though when the lighthouse was automated in 1974, they all left. The nearby island of San Barthélemy has been linked politically with Guadeloupe and a 300-watt FM station was active on 100.7 MHz there, with much of the programming being a live relay from RFI in Paris via Guadeloupe. And then around the turn of this century, another FM station was inaugurated on St. Bart with 300 watts on 88.6 MHz. These days, there are three RFO relay stations on St. Bart, each at 300 watts, and they receive their program feed via RFO Guadeloupe. And then also, two FM relay stations on the French part of the 200-mile distant island of Saint-Martin have also carried a relay of programming from RFO Guadeloupe for the past 35 years. Those two stations, with 300 watts each, are broadcasting on 88.9 MHz and 91.1 MHz. In addition to the government RFO stations, there's also a host of commercial and community FM radio stations on the air in Guadeloupe. Radio Caribbean, with its headquarters on the 200-mile distant island of St. Lucia, also operates a network of FM relay stations on several Caribbean islands. On the two butterfly islands of Guadeloupe, they operate four FM relay stations, and on Marie Galante Island, they operate one FM relay station on 106.6 MHz with 50 watts. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. As we were recording last week's WaveScan, Hurricane Nicole was closing in on WRMI's transmitter site in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm happy to say that the storm did only some minor damage, and the station was operating normally again a few hours after the storm left the Okeechobee area in the morning of November 10th. WTWW. Broadcasting 
from an expansive field just outside of Music City, Nashville, Tennessee, USA. With miles of wires and thousands of volts. We transmit worldwide. WTWW Lebanon, Tennessee, United States of America. As the hurricane was approaching Okeechobee on November 9th, some bad news came out of shortwave station WTWW in Lebanon, Tennessee. Station manager Ted Randall announced that WTWW was signing off a shortwave due to rising costs, primarily electricity, and insufficient sponsorship income. WTWW signed on in February of 2010 using two transmitters acquired from the former shortwave station KAIJ in Dallas, Texas. Over time, the station acquired two more transmitters. One transmitter carried Pastor Pete Peters' Scriptures for America programming. time for Scriptures for America Worldwide with Pastor Peter J. Peters. All around the world, from the United States to Canada, Europe, Russia, South Africa, Australia, the Holy Spirit is stirring the hearts of godly Christians. The Bible says, quote, as an eagle stirreth up his nest, end quote. And the other three transmitters broadcast primarily music programming, oldies, country, and gospel music, as well as some amateur radio programs. The transmitters were beamed primarily to North America and Europe. Many of the music programs were hosted by well-known North American DJs. Dan Collins WTWW WTWW was known for its DX program, QSO Radio Show, hosted by Ted Randall. Many of the DJs were ham radio operators or shortwave listeners. You could often hear commercials on the station for amateur radio supply stores and ham radio publications. Programming on one of the station's frequencies, 9940 kHz, was intended for listeners in Ukraine. Hi, this is Jim Edwards with a message of hope and strength from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to the people of Ukraine and all of Eastern Europe from the United States of America. This is the Voice of Freedom. WTWW Lebanon, Tennessee. WTWW USA. Despite the recent promotions for its shortwave programming intended for Ukraine, on the night of November 9th, WTWW signed off for the last time, inviting listeners to continue hearing their internet streams. Italy, Switzerland, Austria, Slovenia, Croatia, Hungary, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Serbia, Germany, Greece, Poland, Ukraine. Proudly serving the planet from the United States of America. With 100,000 watts, you're hearing 5085, WTWW, Lebanon, Tennessee, USA. 5085 WTWW. I want to say thank you once again to all of our sponsors, most of which are going to stay with us, they say, um, and I'm glad. WTWW, 
another shortwave station signing off the airwaves. Might it be sold? Only time will tell. But in the latest twist to this story, some of the programming that was on WTWW has been transferred to WRMI in Florida. When we went off the air at 5085, oh, did we hear the feedback. And that told us that you love us. You really love us. Well, some people don't. (laughs) But we're back with the music you love and the jocks you know. WRMI Legends. Rain Thursday night, currently 78 degrees in Miami. Here's your Atmos Weather Report for Monday, the 14th day of November. I'm Erica Walters for Atmos Weather on WRMI. We don't have a definite schedule for the WRMI relays of this programming yet, but some hours are already on the air on WRMI frequencies such as 5010, 5850, Now we're about to embark on a trip through history. In 1985, Jonathan Marks of Radio Netherlands took a trip to Sri Lanka to record a special program about the shortwave radio scene there. We're going to present that feature right here on Wavescan, probably in two or three parts. But before we play it, here's what Jonathan Marks wrote about his experience. He said, In this edition, we're going back to May 23, 1985, when I was fortunate to visit Sri Lanka for the first time, as part of a stopover on Air Lanka to Tokyo. Actually, it was great to spend some time with two longtime friends of the Media Network program, Victor Gunatilka and Sarat Wirakun. This was just before a new round of hostilities broke out in the north and east of the country. I traveled with Adrian Peterson of Adventist World Radio, the producer of Radio Monitors International and now Wavescan, to see the Deutsche Welle Trincomalee relay station, a trip of almost eight hours. We stayed in the Moonlight Bay Hotel, which I found out later was blown up a few weeks after that. On our return, Victor had organized a meeting of Radio Netherlands listeners, and I was amazed to discover that some people had traveled over two days just to say hello and express their appreciation for Media Network and a Pete Myers show at the time called Mainstream Asia. Again, as you listen to this, it's important to realize this is 10 years before Internet had mass appeal. There were only a few satellite TV channels requiring 11-meter dishes, and the only way for ordinary folk to follow events was with the shortwave radio. Enjoy this one. I personally love the story from the late chairman of the Sri Lanka Broadcasting Corporation, Levi Widjaman, about how SLBC got its transmitting station by clever negotiations with the British. He also explains the relations with VOA and Transworld Radio. So here we go, back to 1985. By shortwave and satellite, this is the Dutch International Service. And now, a special Asian edition of Media Network, the weekly communications magazine from Radio Netherlands, produced and presented by Jonathan Marks. Hello and welcome to this edition of the programme, which this time doesn't come from Hilversum, 
but from just outside Colombo in Sri Lanka, where we're doing a special programme today. The entire 33 minutes comes from this small island in the Indian subcontinent. And uh, with me is Victor Gunatilaka, our regular media man who's based here. Well, it's nice to be back on the programme, Jonathan. So let's start by seeing if you can recognise this language. That's the sound of Singhala spoken by the majority of people on this island and the station there is the Sri Lanka Broadcasting Corporation. They also put out programmes in the second most important language on the island, namely Tamil, and note that it sounds completely different. See what I mean? So, Victor, are the two languages related in any way? Well, they're definitely not, Jonathan, because the two languages are quite different. Now, Tamil is a Dravidian southern Indian language, whereas uh, Sinhalese is a northern Indian Indo-Aryan group language. Now, I, as a speaker of Sinhala, I can understand more Hindi and Urdu than Tamil. So when you listen to the news in, in Tamil on the national service, you can't understand a word of it. There are no common words at all. Well, other than just a few words here and there, I think uh, my knowledge of Tamil would be something like Polish or anything like that. And when you're listening to the, the radio service on SLBC, will you find, for example, that the Sinhalese news is identical to the Tamil news and identical word for word to the English news? Well, this is the case. The news broadcast from the SLBC and also from our national television station is one script which is translated into three languages. So it's the identical news and in the same sequence as well. Now, uh, so much for the domestic service. Are there other countries that broadcast on shortwave in Sinhalese, uh, directed obviously to uh, Sri Lanka? Yes, sir. The biggest uh, single output is from Radio Moscow, followed by Radio Peking. And we also have 15 minutes from All India Radio. And also we have a 30-minute broadcast in the morning and again in the evening from Radio Veritas in the Philippines. Although Radio Veritas is owned and operated by the Catholic Church of Asia, the programming is nothing like, you know, the strict gospel programming that you would hear from some of the other broadcasters who are religious-oriented. There seems to be um, more international broadcasting, though, in the Tamil language, because uh, not only is it common to Sri Lanka, but you will find uh, Tamil speakers in the southern part of India, and also, I believe, uh, in Malaysia. Yes, you get a sizable population in Malaysia, then also in East Africa. So we get more Tamil broadcasts. Now, for instance, the BBC, when they had the big cutback a couple of years back, they did away with Singhala, but they retained their Tamil service. So because uh, Tamil has a bigger audience, when you're thinking in terms of uh, 50 to 60 million people in uh, India speaking the language, I think that's a bigger audience. So you have more Tamil than Singhala. But just to clear up any confusion, I notice that some people call the language Singhalese, other people call it Singhala. What does that mean? 
Well, it means the same thing. Some people, especially in the West, term it Sinhalese and also call the people Sinhalese. But people in Sri Lanka refer to themselves as the Sinhala people and the language Sinhala. Well, to my mind, the different languages and the resulting communications problem is a contributing factor to the present ethnic troubles on this beautiful and fertile island. And I can't help feeling sorry that the violence, especially further north from here, is not only a daily occurrence in the last few months, but also a point of conversation with almost everybody you meet. It's during these troubled times that people are hungry for news and listeners compare what they have on the domestic radio with what's being beamed into Asia by a number of foreign shortwave radio stations. Listening in Sri Lanka, you very quickly become aware that foreign correspondents here are forced to oversimplify an extremely complex political problem that changes by the hour. Travel is slow, you see, and also difficult because of the state of the roads. 40 miles an hour is the speed limit. Even slower since the monsoon rains hit this part of the island last Saturday. And you find that one foreign correspondent is being asked to cover events in a country of just over 65,000 square kilometres, about one and a half times the size of Holland, which would involve hundreds of journalists if it were in Europe. Not surprisingly, then, the standard of foreign reporting here varies from excellent to simply dreadful, for it's difficult to explain the necessary background to a conflict in three minutes. Well, that said, let's look now at broadcasting within Sri Lanka, which has an interesting history. The Sri Lanka Broadcasting Corporation studios and offices are now a well-guarded complex in the Colombo metropolis. But it started in one of the oldest parts of Colombo, dating back to the Dutch colonial era, that's called Fort. The chairman of SLBC, Mr. Levi Vijamana, explained the curious history to me. The first studio was at the Central Telegraph office in Fort. Thereafter, we shifted to the university building, which you see out here, Colombo campus. From there, we moved into one of the rooms here. This area was housed the, the mental home. We were there till 1940. Late 41. During the war, they built an aerodrome right across the race course. At that time, the race course was out here, passing in very close proximity to our studio. So we naturally had to go. So overnight, we shifted to a little place in Kota Road, Baral. And at the time I joined the service as a member of the staff, we were there. We had two studios. We did a lot of broadcasting at that time, but all broadcasting in all languages, was done on one transmission. We shared that transmission. It's from there that we shifted to the present location where they built this station just after the war. You'll find that we have got uh, ground floor buildings most of the way and uh, that is because there was a shortage of steel at that time after the war. The shortwave transmitter site, familiar to shortwave listeners in Asia, also hasn't changed much since the Second World War. On a visit there a couple of weeks ago, I was amazed to see 10 old 10-kilowatt shortwave transmitters from Dutch origin still running. And the main 100-kilowatt shortwave transmitter, that's the pride of the place, used to be for the Southeast Asia Command, that's the SEAC forces radio, during World War II. It's really huge, and a credit to the engineers that it's still running, long after the original spare parts have disappeared to radio museums. 
This is a commercial service. The news from the Sri Lanka Broadcasting Corporation will follow in a few moments. That was part of a special program about Sri Lanka that Jonathan Marks produced for Radio Netherlands Media Network in 1985. We'll have the next installment of this program in an upcoming Wayscan. And you can find a lot of vintage Media Network programs on the following website, Jonathan Marks, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-M-A-R-K-S dot L-I-B S-Y-N dot com. That's Jonathan Marks dot L-I-B S-Y-N dot com. We end wave scan today with traditional folkloric music from RCI, Radio Caraib International, a network of radio stations on the French islands of the Caribbean, including Martinique. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, the early radio scene at Seattle in Washington State and our Australian DX report. WaveScan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, KVOH in Los Angeles, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone.